All right, what's going on, everyone? It's Friday, March 18th, and we are back at it again with another episode of The Hustle Daily Show. I'm Zachary Crockett, and I'm here with Juliet Bennett-Ryla. Hey, what's up? And our head of social, Nicole Phillip. Hey, thanks for having me. Always good to have you on. Today on the show, we're going to go deep on this whole daylight saving thing. Why do we have it in the first place? What economic impact does it have on businesses? And is it finally time to get rid of the damn thing? We've got a lot to say, and that's not all. A little later, Nicole's going to share her take on the great return to the office. And we're finally going to weigh in on this whole Kim Kardashian words of advice for women in business thing. But before we get into all that, let's do the news. There's no secret formula for better customer service. But there is the all-new service hub from HubSpot, bringing service and support together in one powerful platform so you can deliver the best experiences possible and free up a rep's time with an AI-powered help desk. Also, you can easily support and grow your customer base. Secrets out, everybody. Service Hub is a game changer. Visit HubSpot.com service to learn more. Mortgage rates hit 4% for the first time since 2019. Now, This isn't directly related to the Federal Reserve's interest rate hike earlier this week, but it's all kind of tied in. Mortgage rates track the yield on 10-year treasury bonds, which are heavily influenced by investor behavior, inflation, and, well, pretty much everything else that's going on in the world right now. So what's this mean for potential home buyers? Well, let's say you take out a $200,000 loan paid out over 30 years. If the rate goes up even just 1%, say from 3% to 4%, you're paying about $100 more a month, and that's potentially as much as $30,000 over the course of that full 30 years. So 1% is a very big difference there. In other news, Google agreed to buy Raxium, a hardware company that builds tech for AR devices. The price was not disclosed, but previous talks centered around a $1 billion price point. And this acquisition does make us wonder if Google Glasses are going to make a comeback. Uh, probably not. They're pretty lame. And uh, lastly, Netflix wants to get rid of so-called family freeloaders. The company is testing out a new feature in Chile, Peru, and Costa Rica that would crack down on family members and friends sharing account passwords with people in different households. According to an analysis by the research firm Parks Associates, password piracy cost streaming services more than $9 billion in 2019 alone. All right, let's move along here. So the Senate just passed the Sunshine Protection Act. And if this thing's cleared by the House and signed by the president, it's basically going to make daylight savings time permanent as of November 2023. To start off here, Juliet, you want to fill us in on a little bit on the history of daylight saving? Like, why is this even a thing to begin with? So a lot of people think that it was to help farmers or that Benjamin Franklin came up with it. He actually did joke once that if we got up with the sun, it would save money on candles and lamp oils. But it was actually (laughs) formally adopted in 1918, uh, at least in the United States, to conserve energy during World War I. They did again during World War II. And then after that, some states kept it, some didn't. Chaos reigned. And then finally, in 1966, the Uniform Time Act established daylight saving time and standard time for the nation. So everybody was pretty much on the same page, except for like Alaska and Hawaii and currently parts of Arizona. So basically, there are several negatives that people have pointed out that come with flip-flopping time twice a year. Hmm. It impacts our mental health. It screws up our sleep. Research has indicated that there are increases in fatal accidents, heart attacks, stroke, 
sleepy employees who slack off more on the day after they lose an hour because they're Mm. tired uh, or they're more prone to injuries or accidents. It's also harder to sync up with our global colleagues, many of whom do not practice DST. Mm -hmm. And to that end, there was one like great example of this. The Airport Transport Association argued that a two-month extension would cost the U.S. airline industry $147 million with all the confusion going on internationally. We extended it anyhow. (laughs) So uh, like what other economic costs are we looking at associated with daylight savings? How does this impact the economy? One study estimated the economic cost at $433.9 million. They came to that amount from figuring out the economic costs of injuries, accidents, lost productivity, medical issues, and then applying it to about 300 metro areas in the United States. Wow. Okay. So like Nicole, for instance, just walked into her printer a couple of minutes ago. Mm -hmm. Would that count as a daylight savings injury or? (laughs) I don't know. Nicole, would you say that you are extra tired this week? I would love to blame it on daylight savings, but it seems like I operate on tired (laughs) at all times. And so I could also probably just blame this on complete lack of coordination and awareness of what's in my home. (laughs) Okay. Okay, Sorry to call you out there, Nicole. (laughs) No problem. And according to a 2019 poll, 70% of Americans want the clock to stay put. They want to get rid of this thing. But 40% want a permanent standard time, while 30% are forever... What does DST mean exactly? Daylight saving time, which for many years of my life, I thought was daylight savings time. And apparently it is not. And I still say it that way. Uh, Ah, I say that too. (laughs) It makes no sense. Daylight saving time. Yeah. But essentially, we just get extra sun in the evening. So Hmm. the people that are like pro daylight saving time, they say that like people will hang out later at night. You'll go out after work. Case in point, my farmer's market on Tuesday that I went to was popping. Like it was more people there than I've ever seen because, you know, it was still light outside. In the 1980s, golf businesses really wanted daylight saving time because they figured that people would play an estimated 19 million more rounds of golf in the seven-week period that it was potentially going to be extended, which is more money for them. Clorox wanted it because they were making charcoal for barbecues and they were like, oh yeah, we're going to make an extra $100 million because people are going to be barbecuing. (laughs) The people who wanted it like a lot were candy companies because they wanted that extra hour for Halloween for trick-or-treating. But like, as you might notice, these are all outdoor activities. And that's interesting because a PNC analyst was saying, those are really the only businesses that are likely to be positively affected because everyone else has standard operating hours anyhow. So it's really like the being outside and the sunshine businesses that would benefit the most. And then opposed to that are ski resorts because they would have to open later. Schools, they say it's more dangerous for kids to walk Mm. to school in the dark mornings. And TV networks, because with people outside, they're losing their evening viewers. Farmers who are often blamed for this whole thing, they don't actually even like it because it messes with animal sleep schedules. And convenience (laughs) stores want us to flip-flop back and forth because on those tired days, people are more likely to come in and buy more coffee and get more snacks. So different things benefit different people. I wonder who are they placing this this bet on that people will do more with with more light because I, as you know millennials mm. we aren't doing too much we'd rather stay inside like a few <laughs> years ago there was a, some research from Mintel that roughly three out of every ten millennials just prefer being at home drinking and not closing up under their blanket and watching mm. Netflix so is that going to make a difference for a large portion of the country who already would rather not be outside anyway I wonder. Yeah, I'm not golfing. I'm not going out golfing. (laughs) Yeah, I'm surprised only three out of 10 want to stay at home. What the hell are those other seven people doing? Yeah, I'm I'm wondering. Maybe they don't have student loans holding them back from being outside and doing whatever (laughs) it is that they want to do. Because uh, part of the reasoning was also like 
they're more practical because they have other places they need to be spending their money, like on debt. Sure, sure. There's all these different variables because there's also a bunch of studies that that say that kids would learn better if we started school later. And so maybe they wouldn't even be walking Mm. in the dark. Like there's a lot of variables here. And what's weird is we already tried it. In 1974, we did a year-round DST. Really? There was a national gas crisis. People hated it. They hated the dark winter mornings. Studies now have shown we don't even really use less energy. So... It's already been a failed experiment. And then there's all these sleep experts who are like, actually, it's standard time. That is the one we should be doing because that would best match our circadian rhythm. So that's how we should be living our lives. So whatever the outcome, time is a flat circle. It doesn't even matter. We can monkey with it as much as we want. So Mm -hmm. I guess we'll just have to see what actually happens. So either way, whether or not this bill passes, what I'm gathering here is that a large contingency of people are going to be very disappointed either way. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Okay. Just like anything else, Mm -hmm. you know. So, Nicole, I want to switch gears a little bit here. You recently wrote a really interesting op-ed in the week about a certain aspect of work from home culture that's often overlooked. And as we're returning to the office, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. Yeah, so here we are about two years since the start of the pandemic when many of us with the privilege of being able to work from home were sent home to work for what we thought would be two weeks, and here we are two years later. And working from home for a lot of people, it was great. It gave people who needed help with child or elder care an opportunity to take care of their loved ones, help some people find a cheaper place to live outside of their city. But working from home, not only does it provide a better work-life balance, but for Black people and people of color, people like me, it gave us a bit of a respite from microaggressions and the respectability politics that we often run into when we're in an office. Mm -hmm. So with that said, I myself would never want to have to be in an office, never want to be required again to be inside of an office. There's a freedom that comes with being able to be in your home, dress the way you want, speak the way you want, wear your hair the way you want without having to worry about, oh, is the the VP whose office is right across the hall, are they going to like catch me when I do like this certain thing or wear this certain thing, speak this certain way? And mm-hmm. is that going to then hurt my progress in this company? Is that going to contribute to any implicit bias or anything like that? And that's the lens that I look at returning to office from. I know that the president has been calling for a, a push for people to go back into the office, go back to regular life, back to normalcy. But this is an aspect of the changes that we've seen with the pandemic that I'd kind of like to see stay. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, I imagine those feelings are especially amplified in, you know, the tech space where <laughs> we obviously have systemic issues with representation in the workforce. But not having to worry about some of the things you just mentioned. I mean, do you find yourself just having like more mental clarity? Yeah. So I actually recently wrote about this because not having to have the worries that come with how I present myself in an office and what people might think. I definitely feel more free to be myself. Mm. You know, there's always that company survey that's like, can you bring your whole self to work? That's always a question on on some of these diversity Mm -hmm. surveys that we see. Maybe for other people where you're like, yeah, sure, why not? I I feel like I can bring my whole self to work. But for me or for other people, people of color, other black women... It's not as easy Mm -hmm. because the way I wear my hair, the way I wear my nails, the way I speak can alter how I'm perceived despite what my work might be. So when I'm working from home, sight mostly unseen, I can wear my nails the way I want to. Since we've started remote work for the past like two years or so, I've been wearing my gold septum ring. My dreadlocks are way longer than they were in the beginning. I can wear brightly colored Mm -hmm. nails. I don't have to think about 
oh, I have to be more conservative, only do nude nails this, don't wear clothes that look Mm -hmm. like this. I can focus more on my work and just let that speak for itself. You know, that's the sort of thing that I feel like a lot of white people, uh, men especially, they don't really have to think about like their nail color or how their hair is or, you know, they not at all. Yeah, not at all. You know, nobody's ever making judgments based on those kinds of things. Whereas, you know, we hear about it all the time when it comes to women and especially people of color and especially black women, you know, like how many articles have we read about someone's hair being deemed inappropriate for the workplace, even though that Mm -hmm. has literally no bearing on the kind of work that they do? Yes, exactly. And now we have the opportunity to work even camera off in some Mm -hmm. cases when we're on meetings. So at that point, there's only so much you can judge a person on and their work is then placed above. It's placed at a higher importance than what they look like when they walk into the office, the shoes that they're wearing, maybe the the colloquialisms or the vernacular that they might use while they're speaking for the most part, because there's there's just less pressure. If I walk into my kitchen, I'm not going to bump into the CEO or or the VP and suddenly have to, you know, worry about how I decided to dress this morning. None of that's going to happen, but they will see my work for what it is, right? which can be a good and a bad thing in some cases, because then you do end up with the situation where some people don't get the FaceTime that they might want in order to advance and succeed. So there is a catch-22 there. I'm not saying it's all great to never go into an office, but I am saying that there is that benefit for Black people and people of color to not have certain extreme judgments that we might have in an office. Yeah. And also, I feel like working from home should not be the only solution to this problem. I mean, the real problem is that offices and work culture is often a toxic place. And there are a lot of severe underlying issues that need to be addressed. Yeah. In an ideal world, we wouldn't have to deal with these implicit biases and people can show up literally, as we've mentioned earlier, bringing their whole self. But Mm -hmm. until then, this is a great alternative to allow people the the choice to work from home, even if companies decide to do some sort of hybrid work, at least giving people that option to stay behind the scenes in a sense, behind the camera, camera off, stay at home, giving them that option would be great. Sure. Hey, everybody, I got a great podcast to tell you about. It's called Truth, Lies, and Work, and it's brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. On this show, you can join husband and wife team Al and Leanne Elliott as they dispel myths, impart wisdom, and answer all your questions about finding, keeping, and motivating great people. They actually just did an episode with John Smith, who is the manager and agent of famous Argentinian soccer player Diego Maradona. He talks about in this episode how he was able to manage the global superstar athlete celebrity that Maradona is and was. It's a great listen. You better get out there and check it out. And you can listen to Truth, Lies, and Work wherever you get your podcasts. Mm-hmm. So one more thing on the agenda today. A lot has been said about this already, but earlier this week, Kim Kardashian did a variety interview, had some pretty controversial words of advice for women in business. Um, I think to quote her directly, get your ass up and work. Seems like nobody wants to work these days, end quote. Seems like kind of two big things going on here. One issue that people have taken with this is that it espouses this capitalist fallacy that hard work alone leads to success, right? You don't need luck or anything else to succeed in the world. And the other is kind of the toxicity of this hustle culture of encouraging people to work their asses off as if that's some great thing, you know. But I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. This is kind of a loaded thing. (laughs) 
Yes. For that first part that we all have the same 24 hours, my 24 hours looks very different to Kim's Mm -hmm. 24 hours. And a single mother of three, her 24 hours is going to look very different to mine as a single childless woman and to Kim's. So to think, oh, people just need to work. It's a lot harder to do so when you have so many other things to do and to take care of. Mm -hmm. Kim just has so much more free time to work as hard as she does. Right. And yeah, when we were talking about this earlier, it's like, you know, She likely has a chef. She has a personal trainer. She's got people that clean her house. She can afford childcare. It's never going to be a problem. She just has so many people that can come into her life and provide that support. So if she's waking up at five in the morning, it's not because she's got to do laundry. She's got to cook everyone breakfast. She's got to get the kids off to school. She doesn't have that. And, and, you know, maybe sometimes she wants to do those things and maybe sometimes she does do those things. But the point is, with that amount of money, you can offload those tasks onto other people and then you can work uh, as much as you want without distractions. And a lot of us just do not have that option. Hmm. Yeah. And it's not to take away from Kim because she does work. There are plenty of rich Mm -hmm. people out there who just sit down by their pool and do absolutely nothing. So she does work. She has her brands and Mm -hmm. she has her businesses. But the fact of the matter is that she was born 10 steps ahead of so many other people. She was Mm -hmm. born into a well-off family. She was already a little known when she was even a child. So she was just light years ahead of many other people who really have to work from the ground up. And And I wonder, who is she speaking of? Who is it that doesn't want to work? Of course, there are people out there that maybe don't want to work. I mean, but who wouldn't want to just have a bunch of money and not have to stress out and contribute to this stressful and toxic rise and grind culture at the same time? Mm -hmm. It's such a privilege from a person who literally could stop working if she wanted to and be just fine to be like, nobody wants to work. Do you know how hard it is? to be out there cutting grass or building homes? Or does she know how hard it is to do some of these jobs that, yeah, a lot of people would want to not work in certain cases and and have the privileged life that Kim has. So it's kind of, she's speaking from this perspective of someone who's like, yeah, work, work as much as you you want. Because yeah, Kim, when you want to take a whole month off from working, you can and go chill on a beach and nothing will change in your life. But that's not the same for many other people. I've always found the Kim Kardashian saga kind of interesting. I know people say like, oh, what does she do? She's famous for being famous. Like, but it's interesting to me, like the way that she grew up because she is the daughter of Robert Kardashian. He was this attorney. He is best known for representing O.J. Simpson at trial. She was always not only just a part of a wealthy family, but she was living in Southern California and had connections to other wealthy people. I think the first time I became aware of people talking about her was because she was best friends with hotel heiress Paris Hilton. And she was like Hmm. going to all these hot parties and, you know, just meeting other famous people. And like, it's not just the money, it's the connections. Right. You know, I'm sure there's many people out there who want to start a makeup line. I think that's one of her businesses. But they don't know the right people to even get started in this business, let alone where would they get the capital. And, you know, I think that's important to recognize. Like, if you're just a 20-something woman, maybe you've got a kid or whatever, and you're dreaming of starting a makeup line in Branson, Missouri, and you've never met anyone who can elevate you to fame or success, like... You are just in a different place from Kim Kardashian. No matter how hard you work, you will never have the connections and the money and the opportunities that she was born with. Yeah. 
it's a fantastic point. Yeah, that's, that that rise and grind culture. To speak to your to your second point, Zach, it's like Americans we live to work, under, where we glorify living to work, right? Instead of you know, in some European cultures, we kind of we sometimes we make fun of them, but that whole idea of they just work to live, they do enough that they need to to live a comfortable life, but not pushing weight more than that. At, at the end of the day, it's a t- very toxic mindset to have. Like it's important to push. It's important to have ambition, but. I believe it's Denzel who said this, you will never see a U-Haul behind a hearse. (laughs) You can't take any of this with you. Mm. At the end of the day, you're pushing and you're striving and your team no sleep. That used to be like a hashtag team no sleep. Mm -hmm. You're you're doing Mm -hmm. all this, but you can't take any of this with you. You, When you stressed yourself to death, when you look back on your life and you had no fun because all you did was work, all you did was push, then what is the benefit of that in the end? And I think that what she said kind of also speaks to that mindset that we tend to have in America where at work is the best part of life. And I, right. at least in recent years, have come to very, very strongly disagree with that outlook. And I used to be a person who was like, just work, just work, just work. And then I mm-hmm. realized that I didn't have as much fun and enjoyment in my 20s as I could have because I had that mindset. Mm-hmm. Sure. I, th- I think that's a very important thing for us in particular to address. I mean, obviously, we are called the hustle. We've done a lot to try to distance ourselves from that kind of hustle grind culture, but we're still entrenched in that name. And um, it's important for us to continue calling that out. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Kim talks about working, but it's I, I feel like the enthusiasm that she probably has for her work. And this is something that we just talked about with Mark on an episode of the podcast because he had done this whole piece on the Great Resignation. And a lot of the people he were talking to, they weren't quitting their dream jobs or uh, the, the companies that they had started. They were quitting very low paying, often very difficult, no free time, just like, you know, mm-hmm. crappy managers kind of jobs. And what Kim has is the choice to work only on the things she wants to work on. She's right. never going to have to take a job waiting tables or, you know, mowing a lawn, any, anything that like she doesn't want to do, she doesn't have to do it. And I think, you know, a lot of what we have been talking about lately is the people who, you know, they have to work. They can't just uh, stop working and have money for the rest of their lives like she could. They're in jobs they're not enthusiastic about. And not just that, you know, they're, they're not treated well. They're not paid well. They don't have benefits. What's the joy in going to work for them? And that is where a lot of this anti-work and great resignation stuff is coming in. It's finding a job that does not suck your soul out, uh, which is what mm-hmm. Kim has done because she made her own company because she can. Sure. Yeah, she didn't have to work at a fast food restaurant or something to fund Skims, her fashion mm-hmm. line. She didn't have to do a GoFundMe. You know, she didn't have to work <laughs> terrible jobs that she hates to get the money to do what she loves to do. So she's definitely speaking from a place of privilege there. A lot of people on the internet have already called it out. I don't know if she's acknowledged it yet, mm-hmm. because I think the main point is no one's taking away from what she has done, what she has accomplished, because it does take work. But it's just to sit back and understand the place from which you are speaking and that there are a lot of people, as you sure. mentioned, Juliet, working in this time of this great resignation who are realizing that they're working these terrible jobs. And maybe that's where this nobody wants to work mindset to mm-hmm. her might be coming from. But she's never had to be a line cook. She's never had to work in a restaurant. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have heard that she wasn't very happy working uh, for Paris Hilton, but that's a very different situation. That's working for <laughs> an heiress. <laughs> that's a very different situation yeah. than working for a minimum wage and getting yelled at because the beans weren't cooked right or something. <laughs> right. Maybe no one w- wants to work for Kim. Is the You know, maybe Kim needs to raise her wages for her businesses. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, well, there was uh, an ex-employee who worked on one of her apps tweeted out in response to her quote. This woman, Jessica DeFino, said, I was an editor on the Kardashian apps in 2015 in L.A. I worked weekends and nights. I could only afford groceries from the 99 cent store. I called out sick more than once because I couldn't put gas in my car to get to the office. And on top of that, I was reprimanded for freelancing on the side. Wow. So wow. it sounds like e- even within her own empire, um, those inequalities exist. And uh, she so. was criticizing the hustle of the freelance. So sure. she was basically being like, oh, only work for me. But now saying nobody wants to work. Sure, sure. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't want to work um, in a situation like that. I To have to shop for groceries at the 99 cent store, that's awful. And that's actually, yeah. unfortunately, a reality for many people. I actually had a job where I wasn't allowed to freelance, but I made so little that I like could not afford <laughs> anything. So this speaks to me. Well, beyond everything we've discussed, just like this is probably like the worst time she could have said this too. you know, just like the timing is not on her side here. I mean, regardless of when she said it, it would have been bad. But right now, a lot of people are struggling. We're in year two plus of the pandemic. Um, People have lost their jobs. People have gotten sick. People are working very hard and they're also dealing with mental health crises on top of that. So not a very considerate thing to say and uh, not a good time to say it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, not at all. My mother was working through the pandemic and she ended up losing her Mm. job and she Mm. ended up retiring and came out of retirement because she does want to work. She she doesn't want to just sit there. She wants to try. But no matter how much she wants to work or how hard she works, she'll never make Kim Kardashian money at, in with what she's doing right now. And she's right. like a 67 year old woman having to do um, like home health aid work at this point mm. for, I don't know, 11 to $13 an hour. And so that mindset to me, it just from, from a personal standpoint is just, it's, it's sad for Kim to think in such a way because there are people out there who do want to work that are trying to work, but will still just never become millionaires based on the type of work that they have to do, the type of work that's placed in front of them because they don't have the privilege of doing more at this time. Mm-hmm. Sure. All right, that's going to do it for us today. Thanks for tuning in to the Hustle Daily Show. We're a proud part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. Our editor is Robert Hartwig, and our executive producer is Darren Clark. If you liked what you heard, we've got a lot more tech and business coverage over at thehustle.co. We'll catch you all next week.